Welcome back to season three of the Human Experience Podcast, hosted by me, Kiara Marie. I am a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner, functional nutritional therapy practitioner, and root cause protocol consultant. I'm here to share my human experience as well as have powerful conversations with the leaders in the health and wellness space. The Human Experience Podcast began because I truly believe our souls are here to experience a wide range of emotions, make mistakes, own our past traumas that led us to make them, and face our deepest fears in order to grow. The Human Experience is a conversation about self-development, conscious awareness, and normal human responses, and connecting emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual health. The Human Experience promises to deliver authenticity and diversity. The Human Experience community is a group of humans doing the work so they can live their lives to their fullest potential and are here to break intergenerational family patterns so generations to come can too. At The Human Experience, we're diving deep. Thanks so much for tuning in and enjoy the show. Hey guys, I am here with a Corey and Fallon, and I'm so excited to chat with you guys. You know what's really funny? I actually got an Instagram message yesterday saying that um, we should have Corey and Fallon on your podcast. And I was like, this is so <laughs> weird because I'm actually recording with them tomorrow. That's um, amazing. So I'm really excited that people are excited to hear your voices. So um, just taking a step back though, I know we're like all in the sphere, but for those who don't know you guys, I guess just going around the horn, uh, Fallon, can you tell us a little bit about yourselves and how you even entered um, this space? Yeah, so I would love to dive in in more detail, kind of my health backstory, but in terms of like how Corey and I got connected, how I found the metabolism sphere. So we actually have a mutual acquaintance. I went to college with Corey's sister-in-law, who's one of my best friends. So yeah, so I've had this kind of really long journey of healing and you know food sensitivities and restrictive eating and Hashimoto's. And I shared a post probably about a year ago or so now about my healing journey and how my food sensitivities had just drastically improved. And Courtney, Corey's sister-in-law, passed it on to Corey. And Corey was like, oh my gosh, I have to have you come on my blog and talk about your story. And so I shared my journey there. And then we just really sort of hit it off and started developing this friendship. And as I continued watching the things that Corey was sharing, and it was so contradictory to the whole like paleo, whole 30 AIP lifestyle that I had been living (laughs) up until that point. And so I was just so interested and kept sort of watching her stuff and then eventually dove in. So honestly, like I have Corey to thank for where I am in terms of metabolic health, because I was just in a totally different sphere and seeing some healing, but this is, I mean, really radicalized my health journey. That's Mm. awesome. And Corey, so that's how you, that's how you met Fallon. That is how I met her. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, we were both in my brother's wedding together, but we were just in totally different life seasons back then. I mean, it was years ago. I was single, hadn't even met my husband yet. I mean, we were, she had like two kids, I think at that point, or maybe was she was pregnant with my first, but I was like eight oh. months pregnant. I was huge when we met. <laughs> <laughs> we always joke about like, you know how you, you know, someone, but they're in a totally different life season from you. So you connect, but you don't click on the same way that you would, if you were like in the same, you were like in it together. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But you guys had similar paths. And you guys were bound to yes. cross at some point because you Definitely. guys both had your your health backgrounds or just like your health journeys. Um, so I want to dive a little bit deeper into that and like Fallon's autoimmune condition and then Corey, your endometriosis, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Yeah, no, you nailed it. It That's actually mm-hmm. how we describe our entire 
friendship and relationship and business partnership is we constantly, constantly are crossing the same path at the same time. Okay. So going back to Fallon and your Hashimoto's, right? Yeah. Um, so I was diagnosed in 2014, right after my second son was born and just immediately went on medication and thought nothing of it because that's just what I was told to do. I had, I had no plans to do anything. Otherwise I just, you know, this was it. I was sick. I would get on medication. <laughs> I would live my life. That's kind of end of story. But my second son actually became chronically ill about the same time as my diagnosis. And so I started diving into healing through food and lifestyle because of his illness, which turned into this five-year long journey of just cutting more and more foods and trying to get to the root of what was happening. And so I, I would see progress at times, but I was always left symptom chasing and really deprived. I, you know, I was following all these elimination diets and um, I was down to like seven to 10 foods at several different stages in, in my healing journey and was just so malnourished. I got down to like 105 pounds at one point. I mean, I'm five, five, that's not like a healthy range for me to be in. I was just, I was so sickly looking and, and miserable. Um, and so that's kind of like the back, back story. And, uh, you know, I, I remember in 2018, I started this, uh, it's called dynamic neural retraining system. It's like a brain rewiring program. Mm -hmm. And it was just out of sheer desperation. I thought, why not? <laughs> like, what's another few hundred dollars? Because at that point I had poured, <laughs> I mean, literally thousands of dollars into functional medicine and labs and supplements. And I just wasn't getting anywhere. I just, you know, would see improvement maybe for a couple of months and then my symptoms would come back and I wouldn't chase those again. So brain rewiring was huge for me but I still had several more years of not being able to eat just so many foods. So after my third son was born, I experienced this like crazy boom in my healing and had a food sensitivity test done that showed I had lost most of my sensitivities. Um, and that's actually when Corey and I connected at kind of this part of my journey is, is when I just lost all of these food sensitivities. But because I was deprived for so many years, I dove in way too fast with like too few boundaries. And with, within a few months, I was riddled with symptoms again. I mean, I, we were just like eating out and I was enjoying all this freedom and which was great, but I, I had no parameters of like, okay, these are the, the things I need to prioritize in terms of quality. And like, I was not PUFA aware at that time. So it was just like a free for all, like, wow, I can do whatever I want, <laughs> even though I had a good kind of foundational knowledge of nutrition. Um, so anyway, I, that's, you know, when Corey and I connected and I started really leaning into the idea of metabolic healing and literally within a few months of incorporating like really basic principles, I totally had come off my thyroid medication that I had been on for five years at that point. So I'm still on a healing journey for sure, but I'm, I'm not defined by or consumed by an autoimmune disease anymore. After so many years of feeling like, like that's my identity now. Like I am, I am a Hashimoto's patient. That's just who I am. And I don't feel like that anymore, which is just such a beautiful thing. Wow. So that's is amazing. it, I guess my question is, is, does it ever fully go into remission? Like, are you ever free? Are you free of Hashimoto's? Is that that's a great question right now? Yeah, that's a great question. So one of the things that does determine Hashimoto's are your TPO and TPA antibodies, mm -hmm. which can only be found through running a blood draw. I don't keep up with my blood panels as much anymore because I rely so heavily on temps and pulses and other metabolic markers. So I can look at things like those, you know, an HTMA test and see that my my thyroid is functioning well. So I think, I, I mean, absolutely, you can 1000% get your antibodies back into a normal range. 
But for now, in terms of, you know, all of my other thyroid markers, you know, what my T3 and T4 are doing, all of that is just stellar, which is amazing. That's awesome. I was actually having a conversation with someone the other day whose doctor told them that Hashimoto's could never be reversed. Mm. Um, Exactly what I heard right (laughs) out of the gate. It's like, this is it. This is just what you have for life. Here's some medication. (laughs) Man, that's so sad. And with any autoimmune condition, I guess when you're stepping into the functional medicine space, I I think the number one, at least protocol that I hear of is the autoimmune protocol. And is that what you're referring to? Like, Yes. Yes. So I was in that realm for so long. Yeah, that's tough. And it's like eliminating grains, nuts and seeds, nightshades, and just going as far as like ground pepper. And I remember (laughs) I did it too, because I was desperate. I never had any autoimmune condition that I thought I did. I was convinced. I was like, no one can figure me out. I'm sure of it. And yeah. I heard other people doing it. Um, so I was like, why not? Like I was just so desperate, but ultimately you just felt deprived and was not feeling better from it. Um, but it makes me so happy here that mm-hmm. you were able to just completely get off your medication. Wow. And yeah. then um, your second son's illnesses, were they like allergies or what, what's going on with Yeah. So he does have allergies. His health started spiraling literally the day after his two month shots. Uh, So I I fully believe his allergies are a combination of vaccine injury and my poor health during pregnancy. Um, I didn't know it at the time, but my Hashimoto's was getting so bad during pregnancy. I mean, that's when it was really spiraling and really growing was when I was pregnant with my second son. um, And I got pregnant with him nine months after I had my first child. So my body was totally depleted of nutrients. I had no concept of that at the time. And then he was born via C-section. So honestly, it was like the perfect <laughs> storm to set him up with poor gut health and poor immune health. And we, I mean, we just knew, we knew nothing about holistic wellness until after he started getting sick. And so in the early days, you know, that looked like full body eczema and, you know, it was, it was the worst any doctor we saw had ever seen. Um, and so that led us to, you know, stopping vaccinations and switching to a non-toxic household and diving full force into AIP. Um, and he was just, he was in and out of the hospital or the ER for like the next three years, just with breathing issues and skin issues and infections. And I mean, it was just miserable. It's, it's a hard journey even to think back on. It was just a really, really dark point in, you know, both of our journeys. Um, and his skin has actually almost fully improved as a few, a few years ago, because fortunately we really dove into the gut healing side of AIP and we did so much, you know, bone broth and gelatin. Um, But it wasn't until I started giving him fewer raw veggies, more carrot salads, more quality carbs that his digestion actually improved and regulated. And now he really is seeing just drastic improvement in terms of what he can eat. So he does still have an EpiPen level allergy to like dairy and gluten, eggs, soy, nuts, and a handful of other things. But now that we understand, you know, how important minerals are, we're trying to like get his copper levels up and, you know, help him have a better histamine response. So we've come a long way for sure, but we still, we still have a lot of improvements left that we'd like to see, but we're so thankful for, you know, where he is now at, he's five now versus when, you know, at two months old, when he was just miserably sick. And I'm sure it took a lot of just investigating just as parents, right? Or did you guys have help oh, yeah. from anyone? No, okay. I was I was like DIYing this from day one. And it really is crazy how, you know, mine and his journey have sort of merged because it really I wouldn't have I wouldn't have started pursuing my own healing 
really as full force as I did. And it was sort of unintentional. It was sort of like a byproduct of pursuing healing for him that we even, you know, got to a place where like my Hashimoto's could be put into remission. So yeah, we just, I mean, from day one, doctors would just tell me that, you know, eczema wasn't food related and then it wasn't related to his gut health. And I was just like, no, like this is not the answer. And so I just kept researching for just years and years and years. And every major change that we've seen has been kind of separate from like the Western medicine community and just something that we've sort of stumbled into almost. Mm -hmm. I love that you guys did that. And that's kind of how I guess all of us kind of just fell into this space by just not stopping and just continuing to find answers because we know that these things don't just happen overnight. They happen for a reason. And I, I think the body wants to heal. We just have to give it the right tools. Absolutely. Um, but you mentioned something like having um, your second son after your first, just like within a nine month span. Um, I want to talk about child spacing because this is something that's fairly new to me as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when it's my turn, or I said this in the past, I was like, when I become a mom, I want to have kids back to back to back. So I just like, I'm done with it. And like, they're all around the same age. Mm -hmm. um, now I'm learning about like potential ramifications that can come from that as well. And Corey, feel free to chime in like how this impacts, but um, is there like a, a time frame that you guys feel that is safe between kids? Yeah, I think my thing is what does your health actually look like? Um, I think that's so important because I'm like you, before I had my first child, I was like, we are just banging this out, like back to back. I want, you know, built in playmates and I want, I, I just want to be, you know, just be done and then be able to enjoy everything after that. And a lot of my friends, um, were doing that and they were just like, yeah, it's kind of a blur, but once you're done, you're done. And that was a very attractive thing to me back then. Um, and then the more that I've learned about child spacing innate functional nutrition, you're familiar with her, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So she had this amazing podcast episode. You probably listened to it on my life radio. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So she had introduced me to this practitioner through the episode. And then I, I I'm actually blanking on her name right now, but she's on the islands. Um, she's in Hawaii and she's kind of made it her kind of her expertise, you know, the idea of, uh, you know, biologically, spacing your children and how much it affects their jaw development and teeth development and eye development. But it's, it's so much more than that. It's your health. Um, it's setting up their health for life, the health of generations after them. So I hate to like, I mean, I wish I could give an exact number that I've concluded on for me, I would say for me, I felt as, as, as I started to research this, um, the most comfortable age you know, that I felt was practical for me was about a three-year age gap. And I know um, that's similar to what, you know, innate functional nutrition teaches as well. And does that mean that if your kids are closer together, that, um, that they are destined to have health issues? Absolutely not. I just think once we create an awareness of this, of an awareness of, of okay, like if I didn't have enough time to really replenish my body, um, then what kind of supplements do I need to be focusing on or what, you know, what kind of food quality do I need to be focusing on and what kind of things can I be looking out for, for my child and the health of my child. And so once we create the awareness of that, 
I think that's what becomes so helpful of, you know, as far as how to move forward. And for me, it just comes down to stewarding my body and stewarding for my, stewarding my body now looks like taking a really good break between children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, sometimes it's not what we want to, uh, hear. (laughs) No, but I think that it is really important. Just like the more I continue to learn and you can see it on a hair tissue mineral analysis, especially with the way, you know, especially coming from like a standard American diet or maybe like a, a diet that's void of uh, really important nutrients that are essential for fetal development. Um, you can, you can see that on a hair tissue mineral analysis. And I think that's really important to focus on replenish, um, especially coming from like a stressful event, right? Pregnancy as beautiful as it is and birth is incredibly stressful. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and then breastfeeding on top of that too. So you're currently pregnant. How far along are you again? I am. I'm about, I actually just checked. I am almost 22 weeks right now. Oh my goodness. (laughs) So let's talk about last birth, um, with Koa because you had a C-section, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Shockingly. Yes. I, it was a very, it was a big thing that I had to really process through. It took a, it honestly took a lot of time. And I've actually been talking to my current chiropractor a lot about this. And she says that birth trauma and, um, sexual trauma are two traumas that just really sometimes like we need outside help, um, dealing with mm-hmm. this because it's something that really, really manifests itself in the body. And I knew, that it was just something that was going to take time for me to process through. But going back, um, I had an amazing pregnancy with him, felt amazing. Um, you know, prior to my pregnancy was with him was, was reversing and healing my endometriosis. So I was really prepping my body for pregnancy, you know, taking care of any estrogen dominance and making sure that I was, um, just really nourished. And so pregnancy, because, you know, from a result of that was a breeze and I, my plan was having a birth center birth. Um, and I had an incredible team of midwives and everything was just going just, it was just honestly a total, it was a total breeze. It was such a peaceful, um, season in my life. And then sometime around 37 weeks, I went into a midwife's appointment. Um, they were kind of feeling around and they were thinking, okay, this doesn't feel like baby's head down here. This kind of feels like his feet. Um, and so they actually went and got uh, just a quick little, one of those mobile ultrasound things because they really needed to check. Um, and sure enough, he was transverse, which is very rare that a baby will go up and into a transverse lie and transverse lie just means sideways. Um, and so he was kind of like up into my ribs and kind of like hanging, like he was like, he was kind of swinging in a, in a hammock kind of a thing is what he looked like in my womb. Um, and he was a really big boy. And it was, again, it was just so rare that he got up into that position. But what we know about babies is they take the path of least resistance. And so um, I know that I had not been taking it easy those last couple of weeks. My husband and I were flipping houses and moving, and I was just on my feet and up and downstairs a lot, very active and really not resting. Um, so that could have played into it, you know, created, create uh, just a lot of tightness in my body as opposed to preparing for, for birth. Um, but he went into that transverse lie and then for the next week, you know, 
there's a popular um, practice babies that if anybody's listening and has their baby has been in in um, not ideal position, they probably know what I'm talking about, but it's all these exercises that you're kind of upside down and you're in these inverted positions or doing pool handstands. And that's basically what I did for a week, acupuncture, um, all the things. And then at 38 weeks, I went in and I was like determined that he had gone head down. I was like, oh my gosh, I feel so different. It's gonna be great. Um, and no, he hadn't budged even a little bit. And so at 38 weeks, they were saying, um, I'm gonna blank on the statistic now, but I think it's less than a 1% chance, maybe less than a 2% chance that a baby will go head down if they move into a transverse live position that late in pregnancy. And so what they said was, um, what we would encourage you to do if you want any chance at all that your baby's going to go head down and you're going to have your vaginal birth is to go and get an external version. So that's when people are trying to manually move the baby down. Um, and looking back, not, I'm not sure if I had a piece about that decision at all. It doesn't make a lot of logical sense to me to do that now, knowing what I know about how babies will move down on their own. Um, you know, or, you know, external versions are really popular in breech position. And now knowing what I know about breech, I'm like, I would totally try to give birth to a breech baby. Um, anyways, I went over there. It was a very traumatic experience. Just a lot of, I actually blacked out during it. Cause if it was, it was so much pain that I was in, my husband was just icing me down to keep me cool. Um, because my body was just totally overheating. I was kind of like in an inverted position while three grown men were just digging into my stomach and trying to move them. And honestly, that I would say was the most traumatic situation out of, out of everything. But, um, this guy said, <laughs> this guy said he had never, ever seen a baby so stuck. So, um, <clears throat> I think my water broke maybe that night or the next morning, but I was in total denial for the next day and a half that it was actually breaking. And so it was like, yeah, it was maybe two days after that, a day and a half after it stopped or after it had started breaking that I finally called my midwife and she was just like, you got to drive to the nearest hospital and confirm if it's, you know, amniotic fluid. And so I just drove in and they confirmed it. And then I pretty much went right in for a C-section. It was really bizarre. Um, and so, especially cause I just totally believed he was going to go head down. I was just like, I mean, in total denial. So he was born via C-section and I had no C-section plan. And this is what I would tell anybody that's listening to this. You, birth is so unpredictable and, you know, worst case scenario, of course, something happens and you have to go in and get a C-section. But I think creating an awareness of what a C-section is and what your options are and really advocating yourself, even in that situation can feel very empowering. And so, um, you know, going into it, not knowing that I can get, um, like a, a microbiome swab, you know, you can go in and, and, and actually swab the, um, bacteria of your birth canal and actually put it all over the baby's face after they're born, because they would have had that on them for hours as they were coming through the birth canal and really receive the benefit of the microbiome from the mom. And so, yeah, I just didn't have an awareness of any of this. And had I, had I planned or had a, worst case scenario plan of just like, Hey, maybe I should look into what would happen during a C-section. I think it would have been so much more smooth. And so that's what I would tell anybody listening is to, you know, as much as we don't want to think about it, 
if a C-section is, is on the table, um, then just having a plan of like, okay, even in this situation, I'm going to continue to advocate for myself and say no to this, this, and this, and ask for this, this, and this. And so that's basically what happened with my, with my first birth. Um, and I really learned a lot from it. Wow. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, that that just goes to show like as badly as we want something, sometimes things just happen and they unfold as they're intended to and just trusting the process. Were you like scared at all? Like as you were like signing in, they were like, yeah, okay, we just gotta like go to C-section now. Like, how were you feeling? Oh, it was, it was awful. (laughs) It was, it was awful. I remember, um, the moment that, you know, I guess when they kind of send the, they send your partner out and you're by yourself for the moment where they're giving you the, is it called anesthesia? I don't even know why I can't think of the word, but whatever it is in, the, in your back that numbs your whole body. The epidural. Epidural, what, the spinal epidural. thing. Yeah, you've okay. got it. Um, <laughs> that was, you're, you're in the OR when they're doing this and you're, you feel very helpless. Um, and then, and you're in those bright lights and it just, it was not, it was not a good, I remember I could not stop shaking because number one, I was not expecting this. It was, it was just a shock to me. And then now I'm alone. I don't know any of these people. I didn't have a practitioner there. I didn't have an OB. Um, so it just felt very out of body experience. And then, um, yeah, C-section, the, 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 the surgery itself, it was, it was, it was rough. I, I think had, again, had I prepared myself mentally for the fact that this could be a possibility, I, I might've done better. Um, but it was, oh, I just could not stop shaking. It just really felt like the most out of body experience that I've ever, that I've ever gone through. So yeah, it just took a lot of processing to even, to even accept that that's what happened. Mm-hmm. And what did recovery look like for you? Recovery was interesting. I, um, oh, that was really interesting. I actually, and this is where, you know, bringing up that conversation with my chiropractor again about birth trauma and and sexual trauma, the way that it manifests itself in the body. I actually had so many pelvic floor issues after my C-section. And my guess about that now is just, well, number one, just how um, a C-section is, you know, they're moving around parts of your body and then stitching it back together. The idea of you, you know, walking out of there at a hundred percent and and nothing being, you know, out of place would be, um, I would think would be rare. And so I was having a lot of, a lot of scar tissue issues and numbness, but also pelvic floor, crazy pelvic floor issues. And so while my C-section was, you know, take it easy. Um, yes, I was in a lot of pain. I was, I was, I was not taking medication. Um, it was actually a full year truly of physical recovery from it because I was dealing with the pelvic floor issues and, and really just the processing issues. So it's all, it was all encompassing, you know, the physical and the emotional recovery from it was, yeah, honestly, it, it, it took me about a year. Wow. And so that, that was in 2018, I'm sorry, when was it? Yes, exactly. That was, okay, it was 2018, summer of 2018. Okay. So, and you're giving birth at like mid, mid this year? 
summer of 2020 exactly excuse me 2021 <laughs> wow we are not in 2020 it feels like yeah. it though doesn't it? <laughs> so like you're okay yeah so like three years since mm -hmm. okay exactly yeah. and then this time around are you planning for a birth center birth again no actually there are no birth centers on the island of Maui. Um, we have a wonderful birth collective team who are working on the legislat legislative side of that. Um, but home births are, are your option as far as VBACs, or you can fly to another island um, and give birth in a hospital there. And so I will be doing a home birth with a midwife who has done so many VBACs and she has just been the most incredible um, support for me. I, it, I have an incredible team here considering my chiropractor who's getting my pelvis ready and getting um just my entire body ready for baby to get into the right position and stay in the right position but also people that just really believe in me um and believe in just how incredible the human boss and um just have that innate knowing that women are capable of doing this and um yeah i just feel incredibly blessed to be living here and have this kind of team and this group of women surrounding me. So I will be doing a home be back here at my house. That is so beautiful. Um, that, that's something I want to do too. I will just have a home birth in general. Um, but I'm like so laser focused on like just having a home birth and not even thinking about of like a plan <laughs> B. <laughs> but after this conversation, I mean, it's just, I guess you just never really know, you know, as hard as that is to say, like things can happen and it's, I guess it's safe to never rule every, anything out. Um, so what you said about the, the microbiome swab, is that what it's called? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, exactly. That's, that's really helpful. So and I it, will remember that. <laughs> yeah, it could be that, you know, you tell whoever and not wishing this or assuming this will happen, but assuming anybody listening, assuming that they have a C-section in the future, um, it could be that this, that your practitioner or the nurses that come in have never even heard of this. And that's totally okay. It is your uh, legal right to be able to do that. And so, um, I would just have your partner do it or you do it. Um, you don't necessarily need help from, you know, somebody there at the hospital to help you do it. It's just something that you can just, you can just do. So it's just you and your child and it's just setting up their gut health for life. And it's amazing. Yeah. And that kind of goes into like what Fallon was saying about um, his name is Archer, right? His yes. Okay. Um, yeah. And like setting him up for six, was he a C-section or was he vaginal? Archer was a C-section. Yes. Okay. Okay. Got it. Um, well, I want to segue into like, how I know Corey, you're, but you're putting a big emphasis on this on your social media and like how to raise like well-nourished, um, kids and, um, and like empowered and health conscious kids. So I get questions about like how to feed kids all the time and you know, how, and, and this is something I'm so interested in, like how to speak to them, because I feel like this is, there's such like a big gap in this in communication between, you know, big adults and little adults. Um, and so I want to hear your guys' perspective and how you're doing it at home. Yeah, so I feel like I'll, I'll jump in first because I, I think that we've had such an interesting arc of our parenting journey and the way that we parent. Uh, I have three boys and the way we parent them now is just drastically different than the way we parented when my older two were younger. 
Um, and so in terms of, you know, their nutrition and, you know, their eating habits and, and how we interact, I, you know, there were so many years when I wasn't aware of how intuitive children are. And so, you know, I always felt, oh my gosh, there's no way, there's no way my kid's hungry again. There's no way <laughs> it's been two hours. And so we would, we would go through this whole battle of like, no, you can't be hungry. You can't be hungry. You can't need a bedtime snack. There's just no way. And so now that I really understand how quickly their metabolism is functioning at that age and how fast their cells are just like eating up that fuel, you know, we can actually have respect in our parenting and trust their hunger cues and trust their cravings because, you know, kids are just so intuitive when it, when it comes to the amount of food that they need and the types of food they need and the macro balance they need. I mean, they really are just so in tune with, with what their body is, uh, you know, craving and needing. And that was something I just was not aware of when my older two boys were younger. And so it's really interesting now, you know, just seeing the way that their health and their relationship with food has improved as we've honored. Like when they say, mom, I'm hungry. I'm like, okay, great. Let's get you a snack. Let's get you a carb and a protein, <laughs> get you something that's going to be, you know, bioavailable that you can utilize. <laughs> Whereas in the past, it was like, we were restricting fruit, for example, you know, God forbid we ever drink juice in our house. Like, I mean, there was just so many food rules that we just were totally off on. And then, you know, battling them at bedtime every night that they, they wanted a bedtime snack as it had been I don't know what, two hours since we ate dinner. And I'm like, that's impossible. You can't be hungry. We ate two hours ago. <laughs> and so now, you know, just kind of shifting that perspective to actually honor what it is that they're asking for and trusting that they know. And, you know, we keep nourishing things in our house. So it's not like we're turning to, you know, goldfish when they're hungry. Not that, you know, you can't, <laughs> obviously I, there's, there's a place and, you know, ability to make wise decisions and, and have balance. But, you know, because of my son's allergies that, only foods that are in the house are things that are going to be supportive to his healing and safe for him to have. So, you know, I think that's just a huge thing in terms of feeding your children well. It's like, what do you have in the home? Because, you know, your your kids are going to watch what you eat. They should be eating what you eat. And, and because we started really from day one, especially with my youngest, my oldest, you know, we had we had no concept of nutrition when he was born and he's adjusted to learning how to eat well. But it's so interesting, my, my middle son, Archer, has been you know drinking bone broth from when he was a baby. I mean, he'll eat oysters and liver and bone broth and he asks me for like elderberry juice and like weird things. And the other day we were cracking up because one of, my, one of my kids was like, mom, can you please just get some gelatin from the store? And I'm like, what child asks for gelatin? Like my children do. <laughs> <laughs> which is such a gift and a blessing because they, you know, they really enjoy the way that we eat at home um, because they've had those options provided to them. And, you know, again, I come from the other side too of like, we had such a weird diet before, you know, my son and I got so sick and it was just like, whatever, you know, whatever's there, whatever works. And I get that there are seasons where, you know, it's, it's about, you know, being fed and not perfection. Um, but it just has been such an interesting journey to kind of nudge them as I nudge myself and my husband toward this more biological way of eating, how they really have latched onto it and, and just really enjoy it, honestly. That's so awesome. And such a good example um, of like, you know, monkey see monkey do kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like our children are watching us, like we are their role models essentially. So um, making it fun too, I think is really important. And I love how you brought, um, brought in how diet culture, I guess, played a role and how we restrict things from our kids and um 
coming from the other side as well too, something that I've seen is um, kind of turning our ch children's intuition off when it comes to mealtime, because it's like, we're forcing things down their throats. It's like, well, you can't get up and um, yeah. from the dinner table, if you don't finish X, Y, Z, or you, you got to drink it. You know what I mean? Exactly. Um, so I, I, I definitely know what that feels like just from my own experience and what I've seen in environments. Um, and I think that's so important. And when we stop like listening to our intuitions, then it's not only impacting our food, but like so many other life decisions. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think the home is definitely a good place to start. And are you doing the same thing at home with Pro? I just saw your story, Corey. Like um, something with like the raw carrot salad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was saying um, I had posted about how, yeah, going to the subject of like forcing things because we know it's healthier, we know it's good for them. It truly, I love how you said monkey see, monkey do, because it really is that simple. I I truly think it can be that simple if we just take the stress off of ourselves. And so with the raw carrot salad, it was just, okay, this is a part of my daily routine. And I offered it to him the first time. And he was just kind of like, eh. I mean, it's the vinegar taste was probably like, whoa, to him. Um, <laughs> raw carrot salad for anyone that's new to that idea, you have like vinegar, apple cider vinegar as a part of the raw carrots. And so, um, yeah, I think it was like more of a new taste to him at first. He didn't want to finish it. Um, I was like, okay, that's cool. And then as I kept making that a part of my daily routine, he started asking for it. And so um, now it's a part of his daily new routine. He literally reminds me to make the raw carrot salad because it's just something that we do every day together. Um, and so I think if we take the stress off of ourselves to you know, look at our child as this like, and I get it, it's our response, they're our responsibility. Like, absolutely, I totally empathize with those feelings of, oh my gosh, I got to make sure they're well-fed and well-nourished and all of this. But if we understand how to nourish ourselves, and then we just set that example through our lives, I promise you, they learn so much more from our example than what we say verbally. They also, I mean, oh my gosh, they learn a lot from what they say, what we say verbally. But I mean that we have to be demonstrating with our actions mm -hmm. um, for them to be able to actually really, really learn what healthy habits are. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. And, um, when it kind of like, as your children grow and stuff and how are you guys navigating like the, I want to say language barrier, but you guys speak the same language, but like just communicating with each other and understanding each other, even though there is such a big age gap. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if Fallon did this, but I mean, something really big, it's not necessarily a new thing, but you see about it more because the growing age of social media and you see other, other moms giving these tips, but sign language is a huge, um, a huge tool that people can use before babies can actually speak. Right. Um, that's when you're feeding them actual, you know, actual like solid foods, but I like to bring it back to birth of just like our kids have such, um, innate cues and in, in the ability to communicate with us if they're hungry or they're full, even, you know, first day out of, out of the womb. Um, and so if we just get in tune with that, if we learn our child's communication language, cause everyone has a different, um, a different language language and trust their language and trust their communication. Um, that is how I've approached, you know, the language barrier or, or, you know, before that he's hungry, a common one, you know, babies would be like, 
babies can click their tongues. Um, like like a, a tongue clicking is a, is a really common way that they communicate with you that they want to breastfeed. Um, so that would just be one example. But yeah, as they go along and they're able to understand hand motions and sign language, um, that can be really helpful. And then just giving them actual words um, as they get older that they can pick up on of a way of saying, okay, I'm all done or, or I'm hungry. That's how I've approached it. I don't know. What would you say, Fallon? Yeah. So we, for reference, I I've got boys now that are, uh, seven, five and 18 months old. So we kind of span the, all of the, the young stages, I feel like at this point, and it's, it's been really interesting to see how our communication communication methods have sort of changed and evolved. Um, because you know, my, my oldest is a full grown big kid. I mean, like missing two front teeth, full grown big kid. And so he's developing all of these really deep emotions that I would have never expected, you know, a seven year old to have. And so I think, you know, something that I've been learning a lot about recently is, is one is as kind of elementary as this sounds like children are people. (laughs) I think a lot of the time we forget because they're so young, uh, you know, really how much they interpret and how much they latch onto and how much they understand. And then I think the other thing that's been really important in our parenting journey is streamlining conversation with your children. Because after about the fifth or sixth word, they're gone. <laughs> they're not listening anymore. And so, you know, whereas I am a personality type that wants to like really ramble away my point and really over explain, my five year old is like, bye, mom. Like, I'm not listening to you anymore. And so, streamlining these, you know, kind of phrases or scripts that are a cue to them that, like, okay, this is the point that I'm driving home here, you know. And then, in terms of, of discipline, I think something. Uh, or disciplinary communication that is, you know, something that's important is that we've just learned that, okay, you know, there, there are moments where we teach our children lessons, and then there are moments where they're not ready for those. There are moments where they're having full-on breakdowns, and that's not the moment to teach the moral. <laughs> the moment to teach the moral is when they feel calm and safe and, you know, not explosive because, you know, kids are still developing their neural pathways, you know, their brains are not fully developed or connected at this age, and so really having so much grace on that with your children that, you know, they are, they they go through these phases where their tendency is just to explode. You know, you think of a toddler and, you know, tantrums and that young age of like four or five and younger, they're learning how to, you know, connect those neural pathways and they're learning how to use their, you know, rational brain. Um, And so it's really just so important to just exemplify so much grace and patience and, you know, as few words as possible <laughs> during this phase to really help them, you know, grow and develop as, as you want them to long-term. I loved that you just said that about the disciplinary piece, well, all of it, but especially that, because that's actually been something I've been having a lot of conversations about lately. It's like how to discipline your child without, um, I guess, truly, what am I trying to say? Like, and, and with like a, tra- a tra- traumatic effect kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, so we're not traumatizing our children. Um, because when I, when I talk about trauma a lot in my practice, it's, it's how we were spoken to as children and the beliefs we have then and how it just like impacts us for the rest of our lives and the stories that we've been told. But doing it is <laughs> so important. Maybe not in the moment when they're having a full on breakdown, but maybe when things have calmed down and maybe too, like for, for everyone, like to calm down. Exactly. Not Sometimes mom needs a time out too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's so important. And um, 
things will come from clear. I feel like that that reigns true for any conversation that you know any adult, two adults would have. Like when everyone has had time to pause and take a breath, <laughs> things will come through much more streamlined and easier to understand, and you can actually communicate. So those are all really good points. Thank you. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, as far as um, okay, I want to talk about breastfeeding um i hear so many things of like how long you should breastfeed for and breast is best and like perspectives on how long we should breastfeed for um, what if we can't you know all the things yeah um i found it so interesting actually i would say the best documentary as an entrance into this into this topic is called the milky way um i believe it's i believe it's still on netflix sometimes with really woke <laughs> really woke documentaries they just disappear off of netflix very quickly i don't know why but um the milky way actually is this kind of expose on the formula industry and how much we have learned through narratives and through, you know, quote, studies and through um, hospitals and just kind of like mainstream ideas that we picked up on, um, just how much of it has been a result of the formula industry. And um, if we just take a, a second and really study, you know, what breast milk is and the, the, the reality of it, of it is, is that we are nowhere near understanding how potent and gold-like this substance is. We are just no, science is nowhere near, like nowhere close to being able to actually explain this phenomenon of breast milk, because we see that it changes with each stage and the ability to give a baby antibodies. It just, it's just incredible. It's incredible. It's a miracle. Um, and so um, I realize this is a really sensitive topic because, you know, I've worked with a lot of women who with their first child, they were not able to produce enough milk. And they just thought that was kind of their, their curse or their something that they had to deal with. And they realized, you know, with the second child, oh my gosh, I was just so undernourished or I was so under so much stress. Um, and they were able to completely resolve that issue with, you know, with future children. This happened to my sister-in-law. Um, and so I'm very sensitive to people's feelings in this of just like, hey, like, I don't believe you that you have ruined your, you know, you ruined your child's health if you gave them formula or shelved formula. Um, but it is very important to, to really stand by the truth of like, yes, absolutely. There's no comparison whatsoever to breast milk. Um, and so yeah, as far as how long to breastfeed, I, Fallon, do you have opinions on this? I'd have to think about this for a second of, and kind of gather, <laughs> gather information that I've, that I've learned over the years. Right. I think that's a great question. And one that I enjoy the nuance of, because, you know, I I'm breastfeeding my third baby now and my first two, you know, I was done by the 12 month mark. And I even remember with my oldest, at like 11 months, you know, someone was making a, a family member was like saying that it was too long 
of a time to be breastfeeding <laughs> for 12 months. And so it's just really interesting, you know, in it with my middle son, Archer, I stopped um, because of our combined food sensitivities. It was crazy, but we did put him on a uh, quote, allergy friendly quote <laughs> formula for two weeks and it landed him in the hospital. I mean, it's like pure soy. I mean, it just was I don't even remember what the formula was, but it, you know, my, my doctor had said that, you know, he was just so reactive to my breast milk that we just need to stop. And, you know, thank the Lord intuitively. I was like, no, we need to return to this because he got so sick after those, those two weeks, which is just really interesting to see, you know, in terms of a child whose immune system is so compromised that, you know, even when they're reacting to your breast milk, it's still the best thing that you can be doing for them. A bit of a rabbit trail there, but um, I'm, so I'm breastfeeding my third child currently, and he's, 19 months old. So this is by far the longest that I've breastfed. And we're actually probably wrapping up in the next few months. Not that I think that we couldn't go longer. I see, I see, you know, moms nurse their babies until two and two and a half years. And I think that's beautiful and fantastic. I think, I think the answer at the end of the day is, is it sustainable for you and your family? Is it sustainable for your health? Is it sustainable for your daily life? Um, you know, for me at this point, I'm still, on the road to recovery and I can see, you know, it, my nutrition's on point, my, you know, my supplements are on point, everything that I can control, but my stress levels are still high because I haven't slept through the night in like two years now because we've been nursing. And so for me personally, I can see, okay, it's time to come to a, a close before too long. Um, if that were a different scenario, I think you could go on for two, three years if you wanted. But I think that there's just so much nuance and so much sensitivity to you know, is it enjoyable? Is this still a bond that you treasure or does it need to come to a close for the sake of your sanity, your sleep, your health? Um, you know, while, while you can still prioritize obviously the health of your child, you know, you have to take your own health into account as well. So I think finding that perfect balance of, okay, am I still being supportive to all parties involved? If not, I think there's so much freedom to just wrap up and know that you did them such a benefit to breastfeeding at all. Um, and I think, you know, making it to a year mark, an 18 month mark, two year mark, those are all fantastic and something to be so proud of. That's awesome. Really good to know. Um, because yeah, same here. I see moms like breastfeeding up until like three years of age and some people that feel like that's too long, but I guess it is such a personal intimate journey that it, it really should be a personal decision and what intuitively feels right, um, for both mom and baby. But that's awesome. I didn't know that you were still breastfeeding. That's so cool. I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is such a beautiful thing. I can only imagine like the bond that creates. And I think that that is foundational for the relationship moving forward, like that you're going to have with your youngest. Absolutely. Um, okay. Well, I wanted to, I mean, there's so much about like pregnancy and I guess it's kind of like what we really talked about today and like health journeys and stuff, but um what are some of your guys' like favorite parenting reads and resources that you guys have just absolutely loved and found helpful throughout the years? Alan and I were laughing about this because this is like any parent's dream come true that has spent time really learning about, you know, childhood brain development and conscious, respectful parenting. Like their dream come true would be for someone to be like, tell me about your favorite books, you know, because <laughs> we could just... It's a free for all for us to be able to share about things we're so passionate about mm-hmm. um, because parenting is such a triggering topic. And so it's not something that you just throw around all the time. You have to um, kind of rein it in, rein it in and realize people will 
people will ask you if they want to know. And I, I share about things whenever I feel led to, or it's something that I really, yeah, feel led to. Um, but we were just laughing at like how this is just, it's just a dream come true. Um, <laughs> I would say, um, I mean, we could probably bounce off. Like we read a lot of the same books. We've talked about a lot of the same books. I would say just because this is the easiest entrance into understanding the parent child relationship and building a relationship based on unconditional love, mutual respect, mutual respect and trust. And it, this is the shortest book I've ever read. I think it's four or $5 off of Amazon. I bought it used. So I got it even cheaper than that. Um, it's called a theory, excuse me. I'm, a, I'm actually blanking on the title right now. It's Rosalind Ross. It's called, um, the theory of objectivist parenting. And it essentially just takes you through, um, what behaviorism is and, breaks down the whole argument of behaviorism, which is kind of the carrots and sticks model that came about in the, um, I believe that was the early 1900s. And a lot of Western parenting, traditional parenting adapted this because they were like, oh, great, we can control our kids' behavior to do anything that we want them to do and, and think that there's no consequence of it. Um, but behaviorism was uh, created for an animal, an animal um, model. And so this book basically just talks about how it's not an appropriate approach to humans and what is an alternative to that. And it's so practical. It's so beautiful. And you can read it in literally 45 minutes. And by the end of the book, you're just like, oh my gosh, I see, I see my child as a human, not as a, not as a little potato. You know, I, I, I always heard before I had a child, like they don't remember anything. They don't, they're, they're one. They like, what would they remember about about that age, they're just kind of there, you know, you just pass them around and they're just kind of like a trophy. And um, that was kind of my idea of, of, of children. I didn't connect that, oh my word, they are their own humans. They're just smaller than us. And we um, just have an opportunity to build such a trusting relationship with each other. So that would be like my entrance book into, you know, my other favorite books. But Fallon, what would you say? Yeah. So what's so funny about this question is that when I first became a mom, I was convinced I did not need any resources. I didn't need any books. I was going to nail it. <laughs> and here we are, you know, seven years old. And I'm like, give me all the books, every book that I can read on parenting um, and child psychology. So I, kind of a quick, quick spout off of some of my top favorites. Um, one of the first parenting books I ever read is called Parenting by Paul Tripp which is kind of a Christian approach to parenting, but it's beautiful, so much grace-filled parenting um, ideals for your children. And then Corey and I both are obsessed with these two books. Um, Whole Brain Child is one and No Drama Discipline is the other by Dan Siegel. And I think Tina Payne or Tina Bryce Payne is her name. I can't remember exactly, um, but they revolutionized the, the way that we interact with our children and the way that we discipline our children. We, we kind of like touched on discipline a few minutes ago, but, you know, we sort of dove into parenting with the really standard disciplinary approaches of, you know, punishment and consequence. And, you know, that, that was the best thing for their, their upbringing. But both of these books really dive into uh, discipline being instruction over punishment and you know how to actually flesh that out with your kids. They're, they're just really so empowering. Um, and then actually one that I'm in the middle of reading is called The Connected Parent by Karen Purvis. 
who is just such a rock star. Oh my goodness. So this one is, is specifically for parents who are um, raising children that come from hard places is I think how they phrase it. So, you know, kids that have been impacted by trauma to some extent. So, you know, maybe foster care system or adopted, or, you know, for us, it's a medical trauma. Um, so especially if you have a kid that's coming from a hard place, which can be so many things is what's crazy. You know, Dr. Purvis explains that even a difficult pregnancy can lead to a child having trauma. So that book is revolutionary. Even if you don't have a kid with trauma, it really is just so, so good. So those are some of my like top favorite books for parenting. And what about for pregnancy? Do you guys have any favorites? Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, personally, I wish I had read all of these books while pregnant, especially I would say the, the one that I mentioned, that would be the one that I would read while a child is still in my womb before they're even born, you know, so I'm already understanding who this person is and what our, what our relationship is going to look like because your um, approach to them, even as a newborn, I mean, going back to like the feeding conversation and them communicating I'm hungry. I'm full. Like that is even addressed really with our paradigms that we have in our lenses about, about parenting of like, oh, your baby's just, just manipulating you. You know, that's, that's like, that's another thing that I heard all the time. And that comes from such a behaviorist mindset. And Fallon and I have talked about, um, actually the books that she mentioned, the, the, uh, whole brain child and the no, no drama discipline, they take a neuroscience approach to, childhood development and actually show they, they you know, they, they take traditional parenting and neuroscience and they they're basically, basically tested against each other. And guess what? Like a lot of traditional parenting principles don't hold up when it comes to childhood brain development and what a child is capable of. And so um, I think if you understand what their brains are actually, what is actually developed at that point, you just have a, a such a better understanding of your child through each developmental stage, um, like their prefrontal cortex is not even developed yet. So they're not even able to, they're not even capable of manipulating you. They're just communicating to you things that they, that they need. And sometimes those needs are just comfort, you know? Um, and so that would be from a perspective of your relationship, but pregnancy, I'm so into, um, like free birth and unassisted birth books right now from Noel. Noelle's uh, recommendation. I loved your episode that you did with her. I guess that was like last month, I think. Yeah. Um, she has a lot of great resources and recommendations on just preparing your body. I mean, my, what I say, and this is stealing from a book, it's, it's um, the greatest gift you can give yourself is um, knowledge and empowering yourself with knowledge, education, and just like really equipping yourself with knowing exactly what your body is about to go through. And then, um, and not just kind of like living in, in bliss about it. It's incredibly empowering to know, um, you know, even just the anatomy of what pregnancy looks like and what birth will look like. And so Noel, do you pronounce her last name Kovari? Um, I, I say Kovari, but I've never <laughs> actually asked her. So <laughs> well, you guys her. will have to look on her Instagram. She has, she has a on her uh, pregnancy and birth highlights, she actually has some incredible books for for pregnancy. Okay, 
Awesome. Well, I was going, I was actually just writing them down because I definitely want to link all of these in the, the show notes for everyone. Oh yeah. Um, and I'm like adding these to my Amazon card. <laughs> <if they're> on <laughs> Amazon. <laughs> Amazing. Um, that was super helpful guys. Um, so, I mean, I guess anyone listening to this is super interested in health and pregnancy and maybe becoming a mom one day, or if they are moms already or dads, um, any words of advice for, for parents um, kind of going through I don't know, any of the struggles that you guys may have experienced, what would you say? Corey and I kind of laughed earlier because I think we could talk for a solid, you know, three days straight about like the nutrition aspect and the, you know, child psychology aspect. But I think um, one of the biggest things that I would say is, is just to find community because motherhood is, is so hard. It is 10 times more beautiful and 10 times more difficult than you can ever anticipate. So, you know, I could go on about nutrition and wellness, but I think having a support system is, is just as important as anything else. Um, and I, I've been so fortunate to have dear friends that I've been parenting alongside for like four years now. And honestly, I don't know how I would have done it had I not had the support system in place that I do. So I think that's, you know, just the most life-changing thing is just to have a group of women around you who are supporting you and encouraging you and, you know, listening to you when you just feel like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Cause all of us are hit that point, you know, possibly daily of like, I don't really know what I'm doing. <laughs> and all of us feel that way, honestly. So, you know, having other women that can speak truth and life and encouragement into you, I think is just fundamental to, you know, your, your motherhood journey. That was so, so, so good. And I cannot emphasize that enough because I know what it's like now to live in a community where what I believe about parenting is everywhere around me. Like it's an abundance of like-minded community and it's such a game changer this time around to know, oh my gosh, the newborn stage with, you know, bringing in another life into this world is going to be such a peaceful experience because people will be so supportive of, oh, you guys, you guys bed sharing? How's bed sharing going? You know, like instead of what you're, <laughs> you're sharing a bed with your child. I'm sorry, what? Um, so I'm so like, I can't emphasize enough what Fallon said. And then for me, I would say, while this is easier for certain personalities and I'm sensitive to that, I would say the most important thing is to get really comfortable with uncomfortable truths and really accepting that things you learn in pregnancy, things you might learn about uh, vaccines, things you learn about birth interventions, um, and things you learn about your own childhood, um, you know, how you were raised and then maybe ways that you're repeating, um, those kind of cycles. It's, it hurts. It's uncomfortable. It's painful. Um, and I think it's okay to say that, that, wow, this stuff is not easy to read through. And coming from my perspective, like I can, it, it, it is, um, I love seeking this stuff out, but I've had enough conversations with other women who it is incredibly painful for them where I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. Not everybody likes, not everybody likes being, you know, exposing lies all the time and, you know, seeking out truth. And so I would just say it's okay. Hey, like with your emotions say like, this is uncomfortable for me. This is painful for me. And with pain comes so much growth. And, um, and just, again, going back to what Fallon said, community, that would be so important as you're on a learning journey, because parenting is just nonstop on learning and relearning, whether it's nutrition or parenting approaches or discipline. It's just, it's, if you let it be, 
it'll, it'll change you forever. Um, and so having supportive community is so important as you're on, as you're on that journey. That was so beautiful. You guys, um, that, re that resonates like a, a lot just for me and I'm not even a mom. Um, <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, <laughs> Okay, so one last question. This is what I ask all my guests who come on the Human Experience Podcast. Um, what makes both of you human? I will For say- For me, I think- Go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I knew that was gonna happen. <laughs> I know, I was like waiting for you. <laughs> um, so I think, I think for me, the inherent flaws and weaknesses that we carry make us human, um, which I realize at face value seems maybe a bit depressing, but I think, I think there's so much depth and beauty in the need that we carry to be supported and encouraged by other people, you know, when we fail. Um, and as someone who is a believer in Jesus, I just take so much comfort in the scripture that says that God's power is made perfect in my weakness, which I swear has been the theme of my life. Like daily, there's some new, you know, weakness or failure that I have. Um, but it's, it's been a beautiful thing to watch how all of the broken parts of my journey have eventually been used for something really redemptive and beautiful. And if it hadn't been for that weakness and failure, you know, the, the beauty out of that ashes would have never, ever happened. Um, so I think that's such a great question. And I, and I, I put so much thought into this because I think it's so like all encompassing, but, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm super curious to, to hear Corey, what you have to say. Yes. I mean, I, I love that answer. It's kind of similar to years of just like, I think what makes me hum human is the ability to accept that and accept growth. Um, because I, Oh, and just like realizing how, how much we can grow, like just accepting like, wow, we get to adapt. We get to like actually have emotions and then, um, and things affect us. And like, I, I don't know, it's just like an all encompassing, um, it's an all encompassing reality of just like, we, while, while life can be so painful, we get to grow so much through it. And I think that's such a beautiful thing. Those are both beautiful answers. Thank you so much, you guys. I really enjoyed our conversation today. And I know so many people will benefit from everything that you guys had to say. Um, but I think that's all for today. And thank you guys for uh, joining me on the Human Experience Podcast. So until next time. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Human Experience Podcast. I always appreciate your love via Instagram DMs, so feel free to take a screenshot if you're listening and be sure to tag me on Instagram. And of course, if you feel called to, I would love, love, love to see you leave a five-star rating and review so that others can hear my voice too. Until next time. I wanted to take a brief moment to chat about the relaunch of The Nourished Method, which is my very own signature course that is 12 weeks long and it's going to look a little bit different this time around. So if you were with me last year, I launched The Nourished Method for the first time ever. Thanks so much to the women who joined and gave me incredible feedback for this round so that things can be new and improved. Things are going to look a little bit different. No weekly calls. Um, I feel like a lot of the women got a lot of the answers that they needed from the course and just communicating with me via messenger and the Facebook community. So that's exactly what we're going to do this time around. We're going to have a private 
Facebook community where all your questions and concerns are going to be answered. I'll be in there every single day. So it's really no different. Um, the course will be dropped all at once. All 12 weeks of modules will be dropped all at once. You'll have the knowledge, wisdom, and tools that I have literally in this course. Um, you'll get trackers, um, meal plans, uh, supplement guides, um, grocery guides, literally so many things, checklists, like the whole nine yards, guys. I'm not going to leave you out in the dark. I want you to succeed. I'm also teaming up, teaming up with some really awesome women in the field when it comes to movement and meal plans. You'll get set up with that. You'll get the whole works. Um, I'm really excited for this round, you guys. And the early bird special starting on February the 4th is $297, paying full. There's also a payment plan option for that, and the price will go up at the end of the week of the 4th um, to $4.97, so be sure to sign up early and let me know if you have any questions on Instagram.